What's going on, everybody? This is Rafiki, and welcome to Power BT, a podcast that will take you to the West Indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly. Here, we will also dive into the history, culture, and literature of the region I call home and the parts of the world that help build it into what it is today. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of Power BT. Um, I know it's been quite a while. I actually had tried to prepare this episode um, for August 14th, and here we are on October 6th. So, as you can tell, I took an impromptu break from working on Power BT, from working on writing. Um, just have had a lot of things going on. Two days ago, I turned 23, so... Happy late birthday to me. Um, And like turning 23 has been something that has, I would say, I I wasn't necessarily excited for it. But since like my birthday celebration and some other things that have happened, I have honestly been quite excited to get older, been quite excited for the holidays. Um, And yesterday, prior to recording this episode, I was thinking a lot about writing and about like what I want to accomplish as a writer and as an educator in a sense um, and as a historian um, and it's inspired me to kind of get back into it. Um, I think jobs like these, passions like these when it comes to teaching people or you know creating creative content or just building community, not that it's not rewarding but it doesn't pay off very quickly. Um, And it definitely doesn't pay off quickly in a monetary fashion. Um, And so that was something that had kind of been, maybe not getting to me, but I just felt like I needed to put my efforts in other things because obviously this world is expensive. Living in New York City, which is where I am at, is expensive. And so just other things took my focus. Um, But writing has always been on the back of my mind. It's kind of like, I don't know, any passion that anyone might have, whether it's exercise or cooking or anything you know if it's something you love to do even if you're not doing it 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 pulls at you it calls you um and so here i am i've answered the call again came back to writing came back for episode 30 um which i am really excited for um because i do not only want to finish um sharing all these stories which i have yet to write and yet to draft but i do want to make power bt into an anthology um like essentially I want to make it into a collection of short stories inspired by Karaku's Big Drum Dance and who knows what Karaku can be uh, not Karaku who knows what (laughs) Power BT can become in the future um and now turning 23 I know I want to have another publication out but before I'm 25 um so if that's my goal and if that's what I want to make happen I need to get back to it um but that's kind of where I've been at why I've been you know less consistent with Power BT. For those of you who um, still come and listen to old episodes, I really appreciate it. And I'm hoping to get more guests on my podcast, um, different voices on the podcast. It's definitely something I am interested in doing. Um, But in this break that I've taken, I've really been thinking about how the work of others in a similar lens has influenced and inspired me. Deanna Lynn Cook, the host of the History Hotline podcast, um, comes to mind immediately. She was my most recent guest on Power BT um, in my latest episodes. Um, and her work, specifically her PhD work, 
um, has a focus on West Indian migrants, specifically children um, from the 1960s and before. And this is specifically focused on the migration of children and other West Indian migrants um, from obviously the Caribbean into the UK. So obviously I'm, I'm an American citizen. I was born in the United States. Um, and so it's a different conversation than the one I'm used to having and the one I'm used to hearing because blackness here in America has a different uh, history, a very rich history with the black Americans who have been here for countless generations. Um, but her work really inspired me to get back to my own um, and recognize just how how valuable these stories and these histories are. And even these fictions are as we try to piece together um, life and connect one another through countless generations as our world becomes smaller and smaller. You know, when I think about how soft power works and soft power is kind of like the influence, uh, you know, a country specifically can exert on the world around it based on its culture and media and all these different things. When I think about how this world is shrinking and how powerful America's soft power is um, compared to the region of the West Indies, you know, I want to add to that that arsenal that the West Indies has. I mean, obviously, we know that the West Indies has a lot of soft power when we think about places like Jamaica and Haiti um, and Trinidad, you know, and if we think about the broader Caribbean, um, that might, be, might involve other languages such as um, the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. When we think about Cuba, we know that the Caribbean as a multicultural multilingual region has a lot of soft power. Um, but I just want to keep adding to that. Um, I know I've talked a lot about how I feel the emphasis on Caribbean culture and Caribbean literature comes from uh, maybe more, what's the word, like Spanish-speaking countries. Um, so obviously, like, Guyana is not as well-known as Cuba. You know, Grenada is not as well-known as Puerto Rico. Um, and that doesn't, that's not a slight in any way, but it's just something to kind of consider when we think about the Anglophone Caribbean. The first countries that come to mind will be Jamaica, the Bahamas, Trinidad, you know. Um, and I want to just continue to build that connection for my own seat as a second generation American. Um, and recognizing that having never lived in the West Indies and having only visited and heard stories, as immersed as I am in the culture, there's still so much for me to learn. Um, and there's so much that I have will never experience having never been born and raised there. Um, but I still have a great, great appreciation for my roots and my history. And that's kind of what drives me to keep things going with Power BT. Um, and I always try to be conscious of my experience um, as a descendant of West Indian people, um, as opposed to being born and raised in the West Indies myself. So that's kind of like something I wanted to focus on and recap before getting into today's episode, um, which is a continuation of the Congo, um, the Congo collection that we're doing here. Um, and then we'll continue on with the rest of the, the nations within Karaku's Big Drum Dance going forward. But um, thank you for returning. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for excusing my... Uh, my slight disorganization it feels strange getting back behind a mic and getting back into writing but it also feels very very natural so let's hop into today's episode
as we discussed in the last episode, episode 29, um, this episode is a continuation on the Congo Nation within Karaku's big drum dance. Um, and so while there aren't that many songs, this is one of two that I have been able to attribute to the Congo Nation, Congo people within the African diaspora have played a huge role in, I would say, the creation of black cultures all across the Americas and across the Caribbean islands. Um, we see remnants of Congo religion um, quite frequently in places like Cuba and even in the southern United States um, within the Hoodoo tradition. Um, and when we talk about Cuba, we're talking about Nkisi Malongo, also known as Palo Mayombe. Um, and so Congo people within those religions, or I would say Congo ancestors, are known to be quite fiery. They're known to be quite hot-tempered. Um, and they're known to be quite powerful. So that is kind of talking of kind of how the persona of what it means to be Congo has existed and permeated the Americas in terms of a Afro-religious stance. Um, we've talked about the Dikenga in the last episode, which is essentially a symbol um, that looks like a cross with circles at the ends of it. It's quite interesting. And there are arrows going from right to left, so it goes counterclockwise. And the, the, the Kenga is essentially a Congo cosmogram that um, existed as a long-standing symbolic tradition within Bakongo culture before European contact in 1482. And it was actually used continuously within Central Africa through the early 20th century. So from prior to European contact with, you know, Bakongo people through the early 20th century, which brings us to the 1900s. And obviously the world underwent rapid changes in the 1900s um, and within the later 1800s because of things like the Industrial Revolution, um, the ability of Europeans to penetrate the African coast, um, other types of inventions that enabled European powers to further colonize and you know, dissect the African continent. And so with that came the destruction of cultural practices, indigenous practices. But to see that the Congo cosmogram had been in practice in Central Africa for so long, it's honestly quite amazing to think about. And it was even present in the Americas, specifically in what would become the United States, because archaeological findings in the U.S. show evidence that the symbol was honored by African-Americans who drew the Congo cosmogram on the walls of church basements as well as engraved it in pottery. So I, I know this might be a little redundant, but I want to talk more about the Dikenga the because it's just very complex. It's a general, it's a symbol with general meanings, but I think for those who might be more interested in Congolese religion or uh, Afro diasporic religions, um, in this sense, they would be able to talk about this very deeply, but you essentially have the four elements. You have Kala, which is fire. You have Tukula, which is air. You have Luvemba, which is earth. And you have Musoni, which is water. And then between these elements are the seasons. So as you recall, this Dikenga is red from right to left. And between Kala and Tukula is the summer, essentially when things are born. Then you have... Um, maturity which is associated with the season of fall and that goes from air to earth so from Tukula to Luvemba then you have winter which is from Luvemba to Musoni and that is associated with death and then you have spring which is conception and that is um, from 
water to fire, so from Musoni to Kala, and that, once again, that's associated with spring. So it's very kind of interesting, even when I think about the association of the seasons with this Dekenga, because we know um, Kong, the Kingdom of Congo, as we would understand it, would be in uh, you know Central Africa to the western coast, where Angola is, so almost like a South Central Africa, in the way I'm kind of looking at it. And we know within those equatorial regions, there's not necessarily a four-season system. There's a two-season system, which is divided between the wet and the dry season. So it's kind of interesting to see how this two-season system has been broken down um, into a four-season system. And it makes me wonder if this is how the Dekenga evolved when it became when it was transplanted into the United States, because even in the West Indies, had this symbol been used, which I have not seen, not saying it was never used, but it's there's a big emphasis on how Black Americans have used the Dikenga. You know, living in the American South and in the United States as a whole, where there are four seasons, even if, you know, Southern states like Georgia and Florida are more warm than, you know, the others, it would make sense if this you know, Congo Cosmogram was broken down into a different seasonal cycle as opposed to how it might have existed um, in, you know, Africa. So the the Cosmogram does get more complicated than this, you know, divides the worlds into like the physical world and the spiritual world. It talks about different spirits um, like in Zambia Mpungu um, and all these different things. So I'm going to include the link to information about the Dikenga for you guys to access and for you guys to read because it is quite detailed and it is quite interesting but this kind of symbol you know this this circular symbol brings me into what I think is very interesting when it comes to Congo representation um, or the preservation of Congo culture in Karaku's Big Drum Dance with the song known as the Free Ring. So the Free Ring is based on what I know of Kaku's Big Drum Dance, is the only song where the community does not dance. And this is one of the few songs where you will hear Winston Fleury um, speaking himself, and he is known as the one who brought Big Drum to the world. Um, and he talks about how no one is supposed to dance, no one is supposed to step into the ring, because the ring is essentially opened for the ancestors, the old parents to come in, specifically those who have participated in big drum ceremonies before, whether they were chant wells, so that would be a singer, whether they were dancers, whether they were drummers. And it's, it's even believed in stories I read that supposedly if someone steps into the ring when the free ring is going on, when that specific song is going on, they would get thrown down to the ground by an invisible force, essentially an ancestor would throw them to the ground for disrespecting them. Um, so this song is specifically done to honor the dead and essentially leave the ring open for the dead to dance. Um, and as Winston Fleury will say, he says, if you have eyes, you will see them. And if you have nerves, you will feel them. So it's very interesting kind of the personas that these different nations have amongst the living descendants within Karaku. Um, and this video, this recording, which I'll also link, um, was recorded in 2012 or 2011, I believe. It's available on YouTube. So you can actually see the community's, I guess, participation 
um, within this song. And I'm going to play a recording for you all. So let's stop and listen. I know I did a bit of the breakdown of this song and its meaning prior to sharing the recording, but I also wanted to add that, you know, according to Winston Fleury, the, the Congo spiritual ancestors, um, and I'm not sure if the term Nkisi applies to ancestors in Congo cosmology, um, so I don't necessarily want to use the word Nkisi, but let's just call them Congo spirits. Um, it's believed that in Karaku, they want to dance by themselves. And that's why the people um, don't dance with them. That's why they don't join the ring. And apparently this, this belief and even this song is dated to be from the oldest drummers who were taken or arrived to Nkaraku in 1652 um, from Marie Gallant. So Marie Gallant is a name that I have yet to identify um, as a person um, or maybe even a place. Um, but that's essentially kind of the further backstory on the song. Um, and for those who may have had a hard time understanding the lyrics of the song, it goes, we come here and we don't see the drummers. We come here, we don't see the drummers, oh, you know. Um, we come here, we don't see the dancers. Um, we come here, we don't see the dancers. We come here, we don't see the singers. We come here, we don't see the singers. So obviously I'm not singing the lyrics this time, but it talks about the fact that the village has collected or the, the community has collected and come together, um, but they do not see any of the performers of the big drum dance, which kind of alludes to the fact that while they, are, while they themselves are singing and, and drumming, the spirits that are supposed to be there 
are hidden from the human eye. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are not there. So this kind of made me think about, uh, I guess, elaborating on how the free ring, in my eyes, kind of serves as Karaku's own version of the Dekenga. You know, the fact that the Dekenga is a, is a circular symbol, while it does have crosses in the middle. Um, it symbolizes not only the circle of life, but, you know, the changing of the seasons and the four elements. And while Karaku's dance ring doesn't necessarily do that, not explicitly, it did inspire me to kind of see the dance ring of Karaku's big drum dance as a remnant of Congo um, cosmology. And so I named the story that I'm going to share with you all um, Karaku Dekenga. So once again, if you guys have made it this far, thank you for listening. I want to add my disclaimer that these stories that I'm sharing are um, works of fiction and that Karaku's Big Drum Dance um, predates my stories, obviously, by centuries. Um, these stories are not the origins of the um, songs and of the cultural and religious tradition that I am sharing and shedding light on. Um, and I wanted to always add that that uh, disclaimer to show respect for not only my culture, um, but for those people who are still living in Karaku and who are still actively um, practicing this and continuing on today. So once again, if you are enjoying this episode, if you're enjoying the show, don't be afraid to leave a review, to subscribe, um, to turn on post notifications and to listen to old episodes. Um, And thanks again for listening. I believe in a collective memory. What is collective memory, you ask? Collective memory is a shared recollection amongst the community, a joint knowing, if you will. It is a connected experience between individuals, binding them together for better or for worse. We forget this memory most days, most months, and sometimes for many years. It is forgotten, but never lost. Our collective memory always comes back, crashing against us like the sea against the shore. Mavika adjusted the edges of her patterned petticoat as she watched the old heads of her village perform the wetting of the ground. The old heads were comprised of old men and women, each of them holding a manner of alcoholic drinks and water. Mavika's eyes carefully took in their movements as each elder bowed their heads and said a prayer before offering the libation. They were not dressed in any spectacular way as Catholics or Muslims did when they gathered before God, but it did not matter. Mavika knew the importance, and she could feel the rising tide of ancestors gathering. Another girl, a few years older than Mavika, sat next to her. Mavika pretended not to notice, but she could see the newcomer following her gaze to the elders and even caught her face lift into a smile with her peripheral vision. Mavika knew her as Annette, a girl with a Haitian father and kayak mother. Annette had bounced between Karaku, Grenada, and Haiti all her life making her fluent in three languages, if the English Creole was considered. She was short, but beautiful, and her mysterious eyes added to her allure. Bon Dieu, Annette exclaimed, yawning. You people start early, no? Movika cast her an upward glance before turning her gaze to the patch of land that would soon become the dance ring. You people? I know who you're referring to, so... Annette sat down in a patio chair and pushed one of her budding dreadlocks out of her face. Cesamonion blog. It's only a joke. Forgive me for the Creole. It's been nearly two years since I was back here, and it always takes a while for me to switch back to English. 
It's a shame more of you don't speak Patois. The big drum dance is the only time I get to hear it. Mavika nodded in agreement. She had always wished Patois was more emphasized, but many wishes were never granted. The British had wiped Grenada, Caracou, and Petite Martinique clean of French Creole, and American media further discouraged it. How many messages have been lost in translation? Mavika wondered. How many stories now go untold? Too many, Annette answered. What? Nothing. I was talking to myself and practicing my English. That's all. The two of them sat in silence for hours after that moment, only getting up to catch a break from the sun's heat or assist with the community's preparation. Despite the silence, the two of them hovered around one another, casting glances when they thought the other wasn't looking. Each time Avika looked at Annette, she was caught. Each time Avika was caught, Annette laughed. By the time they spoke, the sun had been asleep for hours. The big drum dance was well underway and the girls had to stand at a distance to hear themselves think over the village's praise and worship. Mavika cleared her throat. So what does we patois sound like to you? It's African and French, just like Haiti, St. Lucia, and other places. So it must sound similar. Annette cocked her head and looked up, listening and thinking. It is similar. All Creole and Patois are similar, but the different names confuse people. Your Patois sounds old, much older than Haitian Creole. There are words I do not know, like Dabia and Ibule, but they give me ideas. Ideas like what? Ideas about who your ancestors were, where they're from, what they've experienced and believed in which gods they know and which ones they've forgotten. Your island is a strange one, a tiny beast. Mavika smiled and gingerly touched her hair, which had been manipulated into flat twists that wrapped around her head. She felt at the edges of her patterned petticoat, tracing her fingers along the black swirls as they cut through the yellow cloth. Annette looked her up and down. Pukisa upa danse. Why don't you dance? Mavika took a deep breath. I'm not here to dance. I'm here for the free ring. Afterwards, I'm going home. The two of them walked closer to the dance ring as the drummers and dancers paused. The Chantwell, an old woman, gestured with her hands and the dance ring opened. Mavika and Annette stood on the opposite end of the opening, their eyes wide with awe as the twisting dirt road that led to the mountaintop glistened with moonlight. Make way, the Chantwell cried. Open the road and let the old parents come in. The participants trembled with excitement and spoke in unison. If you have eyes, you will see them. If you have nerves, you will feel them. Mavika's skin prickled as she felt Annette's breath against her ear. Dance, son said, dance. Dance, ancestors, dance. The drummers sprung into action, beating their instruments with thunderous force. The prickling feeling that had entered Mavika's body spread up and down her spine as the air within the ring shifted. The others felt it too, but like Mavika, they were compelled to dance on the sidelines. It was not their time. A slight gust rolled over them and the moonlight intensified, becoming something alive. Flashes of light illuminated the dance ring and each one of them gave the village a glimpse of a lost loved one. Women and men in colonial garments appeared and vanished, their bodies twisted in glimpses of free movement. Older ancestors appeared, their skin exposed and their feet bare. The song ended as quickly as it started, 
and as Bavika stepped away, she realized she had been crying. Annette wiped her tears and cupped her chin, gently forcing their eyes to meet. Annette smiled, flashing teeth as white as the moon. I knew your eyes and nerves were better than mine. I couldn't see what you did. Tell me about it. Mavika looked at her feet and thought for a moment. I saw what you heard from us, from our patois. I saw the past. Well, everyone, that is it for today's episode. Once again, thank you for listening. I had a lot of fun writing the story. This story was something I knew I was going to write, and I always write stories based on the names and the idea of a Dekenga and Karaku, like it being something broad and then potentially being something so specific and being unique depending on the people who are interpreting it, depending on the place it is found, just gave me a great idea for a story. Um, I just kind of wanted to use the free ring as a, as a space for, you know, what it is currently used for as a place for the ancestral spirits to just come and be, um, while also connecting people, you know, connecting Annette and Mavika, um, connecting Karakun to Haiti, and, you know, emphasizing some of the things that I kind of spoke about at the beginning of this episode about how, you know, we are in every place, I would say, has soft power and, and how even things as simple as language can be either emphasized or discouraged based on the environment that a country or a group of people are in. Um, and I also wanted to kind of allude to the fact that, you know, with my Haitian friends that I've spoken to and that I've tried to speak, you know, Grenadian Patois with, there is a disconnect in terms of, you know, the understanding between the two languages because Grenada's Patois, Karakou's Patois is essentially frozen in time as it is spoken less and less. And so while Haitian Creole and other Creoles and other languages in general continue to evolve and change, Karakou's Patois is stuck at the past. And what a beautiful thing that is to essentially have a language that shows you everything about history, you know, and you kind of see that even with, you know, English Creole in the Caribbean, how a lot of it is not only influenced by um, African languages and African grammar, but even by old English. Um, and you see that even with Brazilian Portuguese, you know, my cousin who studies Portuguese, he said that there's, there's a distinction between how Brazilians speak Portuguese and how the Portuguese themselves speak Portuguese. The languages sound different. And Brazil's version of Portuguese is based off older words and older forms of syntax and grammatical structures. So I kind of wanted to show that while Mavika, as a kayak, as a Grenadian person, is not fluent in Patois, because she is, you know, connected to the land, you know, she has a different interpretation of these um, experiences, um, while Annette, who is fluent in three languages, is missing pieces, even though she herself is also from Karakou because of her mother, um, having lived in Haiti and having Haiti's own culture and own presence be so large compared to other Caribbean places, you know, she is, she has in a way overshadowed that other side of her ancestry. And that's kind of what I was alluding to with, um, Annette's inability to see the old parents, to see the ancestors, despite understanding the language and um, understanding different things. And even, you know, alluding to the fact that because she's Haitian, she has a good understanding of how um, 
African ancestry shows up. You know, not saying all Haitians are cognizant of African retention um, in their language and in their, uh, uh, you know, indigenous religion, Haitian Vodun, which isn't practiced by everybody. It has heavy stigma, but I just kind of wanted to do that. I also wanted to include a Haitian character or a character with Haitian ancestry because of a show that I have been watching called Castlevania Nocturne. And this is a little off topic, but essentially it's an animated show on Netflix and it's set in the 1700s and has to do with vampires and all these things. But they included two Haitian characters as main characters and they talk about so many different things and create so many allusions to slavery and to power dynamics and to um, the way people interpret religion and all these different things. And so I'm actually going to be writing a review on this show that I'll be publishing on my blog on Medium. Um, So if you follow me on Medium, be sure to check that out. But, you know, I try to build connections between different places, between different people. And Haiti just has a special place in my heart. That's why I try to also use Haitian Creole to supplement the fact that Grenadian Patois, you know, our own French Creole is not widely spoken um, and is not written down. Um, so yeah, that's a big breakdown of the inspiration of this story. Um, and it feels good to be back after, what, nearly three months and come back um, so strong. So thank you once again for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'm going to try to get back to my weekly publishing, hopefully on Wednesdays. But um, I just appreciate the patience and I appreciate the continued listening. Until next time.